1: Welcome to the Meaning Project podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel A. Franz. Dr. Dan, for those of you who are more into that whole brevity thing, what a great episode you have before you. That's right, the return of Rabbi B and Dr. D. Uh, B and I got together after taking some time off for uh, for family and holiday and summer to uh, connect, get back together and talk all things Victor Frankl and Logotherapy. And uh, it's just so much fun working with him. I I think putting the two of us in a uh, a Zoom call together, there's just a lot of meaningful things to share. So hopefully um, you take away some of the nuggets that uh, get us so excited to talk about. As always, thank you for this opportunity to bring a little bit of mental health and meaning your way. I hope you enjoy this episode with Rabbi B and I Hello, citizens of podcast verse. That's right. You asked for it. The dynamic duo of Rabbi B and Dr. D back at it again, fighting the forces of meaninglessness and the existential vacuum wherever they go by day, logotherapists therapists and people out helping people. But by night, two of your fi- favorite podcasters in the realm of logotherapy. B, how you been, buddy? It's been a long time since we've been together. I think our audiences have been looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, my inbox is flooded with emails of people uh, asking where you guys been. So here
1: we are. <laughs> That's I have actually it. been accosted on the street and at my yeah. own house by people demanding the return of Rabbi B. Um, one of them, as you know, the running man himself. It's uh, like, come on, man! I'm not listening anymore unless B comes back.
0: Here we are. Get ready to run, people. Get ready to run. <laughs> Get ready to run.
1: <laughs> All so
0: right. what have you been up
1: to? What's been going on and you know i think that's what we talked about today like sharing with our audiences where we've been where we're going what we've been doing to live meaningful lives what you've been up to good question
0: um well i'd say professionally and personally because it crosses into both is for me the enneagram for first-time listeners it's an ancient personality assessment system that i've been really immersed in for a few years now, and I've been building my own program, and it's just been kind of a night and day love-hate affair. You know, it's a passion project, but it's also I'm being, designing it for other people, so I got to keep, you know, keep somewhat uh, sane and presentable in the process. So I've been really deep in that, and now I'm coming out the other side. It's done. Um, we are launching it, a new website, defiantspirit.org. My program is Defiant Spirit, Defy Your Number, and it's all driven by the fuel, the inspiration of our beloved Dr. Viktor Frankl. So I really have my foot in two different passionate worlds for me and now merging them together. And I think I can honestly say, never before done in history, Viktor Frankl meets the Enneagram.
1: I think you've got a really good point there, Uh, despite both being uh, fonts of wisdom and a lot of ancient wisdom. Like, yeah, I don't think these two have been put together. So that's going to be pretty amazing i'm excited to uh to take a look at that and to, and to send people that way yeah um
0: so right now i am getting the program out there and you know it's a um it's a nine there's nine different enneagram types so there's nine ebooks and you can download them or soon you will be able to download them do it yourself or you can work with me and i'm also working in uh, corporations organizations bringing this to more of a macro level so full Long um, response to your great question. What have I been doing? That's pretty much all I've been doing. And I uh, ask our listeners to forgive the pounding in the background. Got some uh, construction going on downstairs. So we'll try and make do.
1: I think that's been the fun thing both you and I have talked about off podcast is uh, all the home projects we've had to be in during this summer. You and your construction projects back there. Me and the wonderful, uh oh, you know how much I was looking forward to the addition of a new septic system in my yard, and uh, what an amazing experience! I have <clears throat> um, the the trails left by these giant moles through my yard are something to behold. And well, you, can, uh,
0: you can check it off the bucket list. Everybody wants to put in a new septic system.
1: Absolutely, and and then to have to reseed their yard and repair a driveway it's it really is a, a very meaningful task. Let me tell you, it's it's been nothing but. Uh, a blessing to me and my family uh, for the past several weeks but uh, before we go on with our humor shtick um, let's talk about the defiant spirit.org, org right yes but and then we're coming back to what you've been up to but okay oh absolutely Bye. absolutely I want to touch on that because I know uh, the defiant spirit definitely one of the core tenets of logotherapy and in dr. Frankel's teachings but particularly important to you what is it about that idea uh, of his that so appeals to you that you're you're molding an entire program for individuals and organizations around that. What's, what's up with that be? Yeah, I would thank
0: you. That's really just gets right down to the heart of my life purpose, I, I believe is to take these two words, and then to help them live in modern, meaningful ways. So um, as as you mentioned, this is the crux, I would argue of Dr. Frankel's thesis life's work of within us, there is a place um, of essence of logos of meaning of purpose of spirit whatever you want to call it the noetic and our life's mission is to find it to draw upon it to live it now it's somewhat easy to do when you're you know celebrating life cycles and sitting on mountaintops and looking at rainbows and kumbaya but can you find it um how do you find it when it hits the fan when life presents to you far more difficult problems than your septic tank and my construction problems, but you know, tragedies, trials, traumas. And it's at those moments where we have to be able to find something bigger than ourselves to transcend whatever it is we're confronting. And so the Defiant Spirit really is that place. And how do we find it? Well, Dr. Frankel provided for us so many um, wisdom tools but the enneagram also provides wisdom tools and so that's really what it is is using those tools to access that place
1: yeah and and i definitely want to point out you you said the word many times find it find that meaning that's such a critical component to it and and i was reminded of that often in my studies that it's not about creating meaning making meaning but that meaning is we don't have to bring it to light we have to we don't have to shape it or mold it we have to discover it in our lives in all of these ways in these in these tasks that we carry out in our suffering. It's one of the things I tell uh, my men's group very often is the, despite the traumas we may have faced despite uh, the, the, the suffering we've been through, we can always choose to turn that into achievement and in turning suffering into achievement into accomplishment, discover meaning that way.
0: Well I think we have our topic for today and I would just change those words. is that one word or two words in spite? uh it's two words right in spite. i think no, so in spite, yeah well anyways it doesn't matter but um i would say because of right not in spite of the suffering because of and that's a very controversial tender topic but i think it's a paradigm shift when we stop seeing this as you know you can discover meaning versus there's an imperative right mm-hmm. with inside of you crying out to f- discover that meaning Um, And so I'd love to talk about that, the difference between making meaning, as you said it beautifully, and discovering meaning, because I think just that in and of itself is a huge paradox shift. Yeah,
1: and and, and I'm going to add to my notes, uh, crying out, because you're so right, crying out. I know we're avoiding what I've been up to, we'll we'll get there. But crying out, our our world is crying out. Individuals are crying out for this meaning, and that's why we see such high rates of depression, anxiety, and medication trauma and we'll talk more about that
0: we're coming right back to that after these words from dr dan about what he all
1: right so i've been looking forward to sharing this story with you i know we've talked a bit about it um and and quite a few people in my audience were were actually looking forward to what i was up to this summer i took a break from the podcast um recycled a few episodes to share again but really took some time away to be with friends and family and the cool thing I got to do is I got to uh, You talk about mountaintops and scenic vistas I took my youngest daughter to Greece to uh, see and hear and experience some ancient history but that's that's the short version I'll, I'll give you the long version but because this isn't Joe Rogan's podcast I won't give you the three-hour version I'll kind of give you the medium version um, this was a great opportunity several years ago when I took my oldest daughter to South America, to Peru, to see um, Machu Picchu, and it, it happened in, in quite a serendipitous way. She had a history teacher, wonderful gentleman, who said uh, to his class one day, "I want to see Machu Picchu before they close it down." And so he found a tour company that specializes in these educational tours, and he shared it with the kids. My daughter comes home, she goes, "Dad." I got it. I, I want to go, please. And I said, well, okay, that's quite a price tag. Um, we did fundraising. And I jumped right on board, man. I, I fundraise. We did cookouts of the football games and, you know, put money back and paid a little bit each month. But I said, say, what, if I'm paying for you to go to Machu Picchu, I am sure as heck going to find a way to be a chaperone. And so I, uh, endeared myself to this wonderful history teacher, um, I wrote the most, uh, one of the most well-worded emails I've ever sent. Like I'm, I'm a therapist. I'm a logo therapist, specializing in meaning. And at that point I had coached a lot of those kids in soccer too. He said, fine. Okay. Okay. You can be a chaperone. You're chaperone. Number three, like, what? three. How am I number three? Who's more qualified than me? He says, well, my wife. So he went, his wife went and I got to go as a third chaperone. We took, My oldest daughters a group of 15 or 20 students through uh peru machu picchu the amazon it was spectacular it was a beautiful thing to share with her and a great experience with other kids as well to see them open up to the magic of of travel of experiencing other cultures of experiencing ancient cultures
0: dude i took my kids to omaha (laughs)
1: Well, okay. Look, we do that too. I mean, we just go to the next Farmville over every once in a while, but these, these are kind of the special ones. These are those meaningful moments in life that I feel. And I share this all the time. Like you have to embrace when this came about. I mean, the price tag was pretty hefty. I'm like, you know what, hon, we're going to make that happen for you. And and I certainly want to find a way to go with you as well. So we get back from Peru. This was obviously pre COVID. And uh, he says, you know what? I think next I want to do Greece. I said, Hey, I'm in. What do we got to do? And that was when the youngest one signed on board. She said, well, dad, I definitely like to do Greece. And uh, I, you know, his, uh, the, the teacher's wife didn't want to go. So I got to be chaperone too. I was like, I was moving nice. up in life, B. Up. Um, and then it got suspended by COVID. We were supposed to go last year. Didn't get to go. And uh, come January, we're gearing up. We're preparing, making sure all our students have passports. <clears up. throat> he calls me up in January. He says, hey, I got bad news. I said, oh, no, what's up, man? He said, well, uh, you can't be a chaperone on this trip. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I took a new job, so I can't go. So you're going to have to lead the whole thing. All right. be, there, there's a vast difference between just kind of, you know, hiking around with kids, being a chaperone, and trying to organize a group of 50 parents and students and their passports and air travel and all that. Um, that's what the number was back in January. Thankfully, sadly, but thankfully for me personally, Um, A lot of people opted to hold off and wait because of vaccine mandates and different travel concerns. So I wound up taking a group of maybe 10 students and parents from my daughter's school, meeting up with some students and teachers from D.C. and Virginia. And we had a wonderful guide and we started out in Athens and went up to the Parthenon and went to the Temple of Poseidon and all around the Greek countryside, ate a lot of feta, my God, so much feta, and uh, had a very meaningful experience with my daughter and and she got to share that with you know kids from all over the country too so um, all of that to say when you have those opportunities for meaningful meaningful opportunities you got to grab hold of it
0: that's true i've um taken quite a few groups when i was back in the day when i was a rabbi to israel and I guess, you know, maybe that's a segue into our conversation because you're standing on meaning, right? I mean, these, you know, there's just so much. You can't even pick up a stone in Israel. I'm sure the same as Greece without, you know, the uh, antiquities department coming up and saying, you know, that's a that's an important piece of historical fact right there. So there's just something you can just feel it mm-hmm. right. It exists in the, you know, in, in Israel, in the, the Western Wall, the Kotel, the, the Wailing Wall, mm-hmm thousands of years of hopes and dreams and prayers right just kind of infused in that space and you can feel space absorbs it or the place absorbs it or meaning is meaning is a thing and i guess that's really what i one of the things i've taken away from my studies of victor frankl is you know again we don't invent meaning i don't impose it on a subject a situation an experience my work is to go into the experience and discover it because it's there.
1: And I think that's true for our work with uh, individual clients and, and corporate clients or coaching clients. Like the meaning is inherent. It is there. We get to help uncover it. We don't have to craft it. We don't have to make it. There's not a message there. It's there to be discovered. It's there to be withheld. And and you're so right. Like it's funny here in the States, uh, you know, when, when we feel something's old, like, wow, that's a hundred year old building. It's that's, that's so old. It's wow. Back in Boston, it's 150, 200 years old. You go over into the middle East to Greece. They're like, Oh yeah, we think that's probably about maybe 3000 years old, 4,000 years old. And it's just insane to think of, of, like you said, all that history, all those hopes and joys and fears and tears that go into those different places. Um, It is, it is something I think people should experience more.
0: Well, it's relevant too whether or not you're in a place that's uh, thousands of years old, you know, historical monuments or a brand new building, because there's a culture, there's a energy, there's a just a meaning that exists or doesn't exist. I was just in a business the other day and, you know, it just you could feel the, the vibe of the place. I went to another one, you know, doing some work and it was a totally different meaning. It was a totally different essence Nuos, as Dr. Franco might have called it. So, these things are real. We just can't necessarily see them, but we all know that. You know that when you walked into your house for the first time and you're trying to decide to buy it, you've walked away from opportunities that just it didn't feel like yours. It didn't feel, it didn't feel the connection.
1: Yep. It's uh, I'm I'm going to make this three podcasts in a row where we talk about the idea of culture. You cannot be in a group of other human beings and not have Culture We create it naturally through our our overt messages, the messages we share verbally and and physically, but through the unspoken messages as well, through our attitudes, our our choices, our decisions, that culture is such an important part of of who we are as, as a family, as a work organization, as a community, and we can consciously choose a culture of meaning or we choose other cultures of destruction, gossip, Um, uh, um, capital, not capitalism, but, you know, consumerism. Um, We can choose our, we can choose our culture. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. And as you said earlier, that idea that people are crying out for this because we've chosen cultures of destruction, cultures of the existential vacuum for so long, we are crying out. And I think that's why we see such high rates of depression and anxiety and medication, there are better ways to deal with the world we live in.
0: And you you had a good point. You know, culture is happening. You know, we have this fancy word. I don't even know if I could even define it. Really, push comes to shove. But we all kind of know what we're talking about. But it happens when two people enter into a relationship. There's a culture, right? And so it's going to happen. It does happen. Whether or not you're consciously creating it, that's another issue Mm -hmm. and i'm working with a company here in denver right now and they're consciously creating culture and you can feel it it's on their walls literally their culture their values we're putting the enneagram up there they're they're using it to communicate they're checking in around it and you can feel the intentionality of the place and it's just it's a higher vibration it's a higher energy you Mm -hmm. want to be there
1: Mm -hmm. that's such a good point the last last group i worked with it, it was amazing Uh, That through the time I worked with them, um, one person changed Mm. and it impacted the entire. Now, of course, the education and the the exercises we went through and did also improved it. But it's amazing to think that just sometimes a little change, an intentional change. And I think that word is very important. We have to be intentional about our culture or else it will happen. And it'll happen on its own and in unintentional ways so whether it's again the culture of your family the culture of your work group or organization or business yeah you have to be intentional about it and i would hope you choose a meaningful culture you choose an enneagram based an mbti enneagram based culture right but you choose your culture so i could
0: see somebody challenging right now because i think in some ways it sounds like mixed messages we're creating culture but you just said dan we don't create meaning we discover meaning So, how do we rectify this difference? Creating consciously creating culture on the one hand and discovering meaning on the other hand.
1: All right. That's a good one, B. I'm ready. So, of course, we create culture. We decide as a group, as individuals, as leaders, what the culture will look like. Well, what does a culture of meaning look like? Uh, Healthy, positive communication, accepting differences. Learning that difficult times in the organization are opportunities to grow and thrive to turn suffering into into achievement, but then also looking at that magical uh, meaning triangle of our attitudes, our experiences, and our creativity, we find meaning in these three things in a work environment, if you have an attitude of allowing people to be creative to create even in seemingly mundane situations you offer them an opportunity to discover meaning. You consciously choose the culture, but then you give them the opportunity to discover meaning through their creativity, through their attitudes, through their experiences of helping others. What what a beautiful opportunity for meaning. So in a work environment, you can have people working separately and tell them to go about their tasks and do it, or you can encourage them to collaborate and to help one another. And there is an opportunity to discover meaning. So what I'm
0: hearing is, I'm fleshing this out, you know, as we talk, we're not, we didn't prepare these ideas. Um, That's part
1: of our culture, B. We don't prepare here.
0: (laughs) We don't prepare, yes. (laughs) We just roll. There we go. That's our culture. It's a fine line. Um, But no, it's, it's a, it's a means, right? The culture isn't inherently good or bad. Um, It's much more of the means of, does it, you know, where does it get us to? Does it get us to a good place? Does it get us to, discovery of that meaning underneath all of this or does it impose does it um obstruct us from getting there but the culture in and of itself isn't the point right nobody wants to just create culture for culture's sake it's what's on the other side of that the experience like you said the discovery the purpose all of this stuff but there's you you need to have a structure to get there
1: well and and i think you're absolutely right that idea of of consciously creating culture. What's on the other side? Well, if you do it in your family, you have happier, healthier relationships, children that grow and thrive, and, and hopefully a family that works together in happy, healthy, positive ways in an organization. If you consciously choose culture, well, what, what do business what are businesses built to do, make money and help people, right? And when you consciously choose the your culture, you can focus it to helping people and having a better bottom line. Culture, you know, is imperative in doing that.
0: I just had this experience with the Enneagram, sort of um, understanding the culture of an amazing organization here in town. And they thought they were completely diverse and they were in ethnicities, colors, religions, sexuality, Mm -hmm. around the table, it looks diverse. And then we did the Enneagram and let's say that I think there were 10 people around the table, Um, nine of them, had the Enneagram seven as their thinking type, Mm. which is the enthusiast. It's the visionary. It's the upbeat, you know, happy go lucky kind of energy. And there was one guy who was either a six or a five, which is much more of a cerebral intellectual, quiet reserved. And when we started to look at this, he, he said, there's a culture here. If you're not running with the sevens, you're not really welcome at the table because they're hopeful. And he's a, Pessimist, but we need sort of that negative um, view of things. Poke holes in things, challenge the assumptions. He was the you know deemed as sort of a wet blanket, and there was a culture around that, and they had no idea. So cultures, you know, are much more sophisticated than sort of the obvious, usually ways we talk about cultures.
1: Well, and when we when we exist in a particular culture over a certain amount of time, especially a, a work culture we just get used to it we may not be thriving in it we get used to it and obviously that organization got used to that culture and it it sounds like it was starting to fall into some negativity in that you know the sevens are just kind of ruling the roost and, and and this poor cerebral type is just sitting sitting out back thinking his deep thoughts that nobody's listening to i know in in organizations that i work with it's it's usually the extroverts running the show and the introverts are sitting there just saying i wish you would listen to me someday But they don't know that until they go through a process like the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram and and you show them the data. Look what we've observed here. Look at what these assessments have shown you. And everybody goes, yeah, that feels right. So I'm
0: I'm working with an organizational leadership type organization and they do their Enneagram assessments and they're all Enneagram sevens and eights. Um, Mm -hmm. Sevens are, as as I described, the visionaries and eights are the kind of powerhouses and it is so clear that they've never once challenged this assumption. There's really no room at the table for the quieter types, the Enneagram fours or fives or sixes. And then we started talking about um, Susan Cain's book, Quiet. Have you ever read Quiet?
1: I was, I think I recommended it twice this week already.
0: So I'm sure it's on the
1: bookshelf there behind you somewhere. But, uh, um, I, think a, I think I've got it digital. I don't know. I may have even listened to it. But.
0: It's it's a worthy read for anybody who's listening because it's basically how we've created this culture that we're talking about that really rewards the assertive, aggressive, verbose, you know, outward, extroverted types and penalizes any, any, everybody else. And that's 50% of the population, whatever it is, that is either trying to be somebody they're not to fit mm-hmm. into the dominant culture, especially in corporate America, or they don't show up at all.
1: And that's yep. a shame. Yep. They don't show up at all. And yeah, you're exactly right. I believe the, the full title is quiet, the power of the introvert or power of introvert thinking. And uh, yeah, I, I remember that chapter really well about how industrialized America really accentuated extroversion. And hey, you got to get out there and do the speaking and you know be talking and, and always be the first one to, to share in a meeting. And meanwhile, introverts are going, no, that doesn't feel right for me. And we never really honored how how they operate and that's really one of the important things that that i have to bring to a lot of organizations is hey you extroverts you know i i think be we can safely say two people like us probably a little bit tendency towards extroversion it's it's guys like us that have to sit back count to seven or nine or 15 and wait for the introverts to process those thoughts to be able to share them and when we do we get we get gold Mm -hmm. but it's hard to do sometimes
0: um, I was just is preparing, obviously. I'm all things Enneagram right now, and I was looking at um, white collar criminals mm. and their profiles, and they're disproportionately Enneagram Threes, which is the achiever, and they're part of this assertive type. But you know, I was watching the documentary about Elizabeth Holmes. Um, she um, the biggest scandal in history. She basically swindled all the investors out of you know billions of dollars. I, I just blanked on the name of her company, but it was just a couple of years ago, Silicon Valley startup. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. She was the one that, uh, something about blood testing or yeah, some kind of testing. Yeah.
0: Yes, blood testing, but it never worked and she never disclosed any of that. And anyway, it's a great documentary on Netflix or Hulu or something, but she was clearly a three, M- Madoff's clearly a three. You start right. going down the list. Right. That was the
1: one I thought of. Repeat that name. That was uh, Bernie Madoff. Bur- Bernie Madoff. There. Yes, everybody knows that name.
0: But you can see, that, look, It's not to say all Enneagram threes are white collar criminals, but a lot of white collar criminals are Enneagram threes. And I can see a pattern as I was studying, there's a pace that they create that they can't keep up with. Mm -hmm. So they're going so fast, they start cutting corners. They start covering up sort of semi-truths, half-truths, lies, and the lies get bigger. And you watch, you know, read the book about Murty Madoff. It's amazing. It just gets out of control and he Mm -hmm. can't stop the train and now it's a Ponzi scheme because he's moving things around and you can just feel that energy could have been averted if you would have read Susan Kane's book, right? right. Or right. embodied those principles right. and brought, th- I'm sure Enron and all these other examples probably had that same mm-hmm. cult- uh, corporate culture. It's too fast. There's no room for uh, poking holes. There's no room for second guessing. There's no room for slowing it down. Mm-hmm. You get yourself into trouble.
1: Yeah, well, let's take it even a step further to to our uh, mentor, Dr. Frankel himself, right? Uh, yeah, you can read Susan Cain's book, but what if you read *Man's Search for Meaning* and realize we don't have to move at this fast pace to continue to buy the things and get the stuff and and all of that? But you know, when we look to work in a meaningful situation, when we w- work to serve others to transcend the self, that's where that's where life is at but when we find ourselves chasing more and more consumers and when we chase the things all the time it, it winds up being meaningless and that so many people have shared that story that they get to that point of recognizing "Uh oh i'm in trouble how the hell did i get here and it's it's that process of str- going in the wrong direction too hard too fast and not allowing other people to come in and say hey 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 wait wait maybe we should do something different
0: I would also add to that, back to our kind of original last-minute topic, which is, I think there's a difference between discovering meaning and making meaning, because making is another doing. It's another verb. It's a, you know, it's such an American, Western, modern idea that I can you know, with chutzpahs we say, I can make meaning. I can't make shit. I can't make a flower grow. I can't make a butterfly. You know, come. I'm gonna make meaning. It's just so arrogant. And then I can feel like I got to make this happen. I used to do this as a rabbi. Every profession you do this, I got to make a great talk and get up there. And I got to I, 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 me, 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 faster, 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 more. Mm -hmm. And you can just feel you're you're blowing right past the meaning like it's there. Stop. Slow down. Take a deep breath. Go into it
1: same thing as a a clinician or as a consultant right i gotta go in i gotta fix this person i gotta fix this organization i gotta fix this team i gotta it's like no 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 we are blessed to be able to be witnesses to the change and to have some knowledge we can share to help people take hold of but you're right that is you know we talk about this a lot such a such a western u.s thing that we we're gonna go do it and whereas many other cultures are just have that natural ability to step back and be like that's okay it'll happen
0: but it's hard to break the pattern um because i imagine those clients who come to you at some level or maybe explicitly are saying fix me Mm. right tell me what to do i get this all the time just tell me what to do oh Oh, i love that one i can't tell you you know this is your life you're driving the bus yeah
1: i i think most, uh, most of the people I work with have gotten to the point that they just roll their eyes as they come, that comes out of their mouth. They let, they know like, he's not going to do that. I know he's going to say no. They catch themselves mid sentence. Just tell me, Oh, I know what's coming now. No, that's not what we do. We don't tell people what to do. We're not, <laughs> I guess that's the difference between a physician and and a, and a logo therapist, right? Physicians will tell you what, take this, take two of these and call me in the morning. Uh, but unfortunately, that kind of medicine hasn't been working too much for our crying out for meaning in the past few decades,
0: which is, you know, again, why we can't do that because I can't make it and I can't discover it for you. If I discover it, it's not yours, it's mine. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we can empower you on the journey of discovery. And that's Let me about see if I much- can
1: remember this story from one of our, did you have ever have the, uh, wonderful dr reverend jeremiah Morasso. back in your studies at gtf i did not he was i believe he was a, a practicum teacher for i may even had a class with him but he shared this beautiful story of what it means what it means to be a logotherapist what it means to be a helping professional he said you know for the people out there for the groups you'll work with just think of them as an anchor that's been dragged at the bottom of the lake for for hours and it's just covered in muck and mud and your job is to help uncover that anchor to help wipe away the mud that anchor is the meaning and in our lives we just pick up too much muck and mud and our job not just as clinicians as logotherapists as helping professionals I think that's our job as human beings to other people is just to help a little bit and and in doing that um the great poet and prophet himself Joe Rogan said this the other day when you do nice things for other people, it's being selfish because it actually helps you feel better.
0: Is that why you have the grooming habits that you
1: do because of your mentor? Because of my, I wish I had the workout habits of Mr. <laughs> uh, Mister Rogan, but
0: yes, I, that is the grooming habit. <laughs> um, th- yeah. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm seeing that imagery of the anchor and the shift of discovery. I see this a lot with um, men in particular and especially sort of the midlife crossroads, discovery by going down versus going out, going into versus going wide, Mm -hmm. right? Not to change your spouse, to change your job, to change your car, but to stand where you are and go down into that anchor, into the mud, which is usually, not always, but usually where you're going to discover that meaning.
1: Mm -hmm. Because you you go down into yourself to discover that meaning rather than going out into the world to consume more, to get the fancy car, to to look for the new uh, uh, eye candy on your arm. Um, I think that's such a good point, and I really like. I, I don't know if you did that on purpose, but the I believe you called it the midlife crossroads instead of the midlife crisis. That's uh, mm. is that intentional? Is that is that a B-ism there, or what's that about?
0: I'm sure I didn't make it up, but I definitely have gone through those crossroads like four times, and so <laughs> I. Uh, I, I know it pretty well, so yeah, I've come. I've become fond of the crossroads. It's, it's never really been a crisis as painful as it is. Yeah, um, but maybe we have another podcast on there.
1: Well, I, I, that's a great point. I think when we treat it as a crossroads, as an opportunity, rather than a, than a, when we treat it as an opportunity, it doesn't turn into a crisis. But when we go the wrong direction, it can become a crisis.
0: I think that's a really great insight. And if you're willing to stop at the crossroads, take a little time. Right, dig down into it. Um, that's usually the best path when I've gone rushing through it. Like I'm an Enneagram 8, which is one of the most assertive, aggressive, go get them types. And every time I do, I end up having to backtrack, go mm-hmm. back to the crossroads, slow it down,
1: think it back through. to the crossroads, consider that turn. Hey, sometimes even maybe get a mentor, a coach, a therapist, a logo therapist to, to help you decide which way to go.
0: Well, and that's probably a good place to end. You can reach out to Dr. Dan, he'd be.
1: Happy to hear oh, from you and work with you. Yeah. Right. How about, uh, well, and, and okay. So that's a, that's a good segue really quick into yes. Uh, by next year, hopefully look, my, we talk about callings in life. My calling ever since studying logo therapy is to get this out to more people. I think I've said it many times. My, my professors and, and, and instructors were just tired of me talking about more people need to know this. And they said, do something about it. And I did. And that's why you and I are talking. And that's why there's a meeting project podcast. And I think, Wow. Uh, There's only so much of me to go around in clinical hours on a daily basis. So hopefully by next year, I'll be able to offer a little bit more in a virtual sense, maybe some virtual uh, group coaching and educational material in mental health and meaning. So if you can't make it to my office in Little Farmville, Indiana, uh, maybe we'll still be able to interact. So as you work on your Enneagram project, uh, I will be working on a mental health and meaning project. And I have a feeling, should meaning, should the news, should the spirit allow it, there might be a team up coming up here someday.
0: Count me in, Coach. I'm ready to play.
1: <laughs> Outstanding.
0: It's always been a always a pleasure to jump on these calls with you, Dan, and uh, really explore uh, the noetic, the, the spiritual in my life.
1: Absolutely. Hey, B. If people want to find out more about what you're doing, where do they get a hold of you? defiantspirit.org
0: and you can find all things Enneagram, Victor Frankel, and Baruch Halevi.
1: Outstanding. I'm going to need to find a, a better, like easier to spell name because actually I actually have to spell my website. That's uh, Daniel com. D-A-N-I-E-L-A-F-R-A-N-Z dot com. B, always a pleasure, man. Can't wait till we do it again.
0: All right, brother. Until the next time.
1: Take care. Ugh, what a mensch. That's, you know, I I hope, I'm sure it comes through in the podcast. I just love working with that man. Um, It's so funny, so meaningful how we wound up working together. Um, And as I was telling you the story of of my travels over the summer, first of all, I hope it didn't seem too self-serving. I really uh, wanted to inspire you and to, to share that with you and hope you take hold of any meaningful opportunities you might have. But uh, to be looking for those opportunities, whether it's for travel, whether it's for connection, as, as B and I found each other through the internet and, and wound up doing these kinds of things, life is always presenting meaningful opportunities. Uh, as the logotherapy and existential analysis talks about, we have the meaning of the moment. Meaning can be discovered in every decision we have to make. So, as I've said before, I hope I hope this podcast helps you choose meaningfully. As I said with B, you can find out more about me and, and what I'm doing and the upcoming uh mental health, I don't even know what we're gonna call it. Mental health and meaning, group coaching, education. Hey, if you got if you got an idea what to name this thing as I continue to craft and, and outline it, feel free to hit me up. You can do that at Danielafranz.com, D-A-N-I-E-L-A, F-R-A-N-Z.com. And you can check out some very cool meeting project merch at the merch store. That's in the show notes And if you watch the YouTube video, you can see this sweet sunset hill stoneware mug uh, That I am drinking my iced coffee out of so pick one of those up on the patreon page Hey, thank you again. I, I tell you between working with B and the opportunity to share this with you I um, As as Dr. Frankel was known to say, the meaning of my life is to help others find meaning. And uh, you give me that. And listening to this podcast and sharing it with friends and and talking about it and, and even connecting with me, you give me meaning by allowing me to do this. And I thank you for that. Take care.